everybody, and welcome to another edition of Modern and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm the director of OTS Amiyama Kila and the rubric liaison for English-speaking countries for Igun Rabbeinu Sohar. With me is Rabbanit Mali Bravsky. Mali Bravsky is a senior faculty member and Shana Bet director at Mechlal Mevaser Yerushalayim and maintains a, social so a clinical social work practice in Gush Etzion. Rabbi Johnny Solomon is a teacher at Matan, Midrashat Lindenman, Machon Mayan, Midrashat Torah B'Chesed, and a writer and educator of Jewish content for numerous organizations around the world. Today, we decided we thought we would talk about the recently released findings of the Nishma study on the modern Orthodox community. As we are, uh, we, we, we normally talk about religious Zionist issues, but all of us come from modern Orthodox um, backgrounds. And the study was very, very interesting and raised a lot of interesting points that we felt were worth evaluating and analyzing. So we're gonna just pick some of the key findings from the study, we downloaded it from their website. You can download it yourself on the website and read it yourself. It's worthwhile probably to look at the full key findings and even the full survey, not just what you saw in, uh, in articles. And uh, what I thought we would do is raise some of the issues that, that are raised by the key findings and, uh, and get feedback from our, from our distinguished panelists. So I'm gonna start with the first one uh, and I'll throw it to Molly Bravsky. Molly, one of the things that they, the, key, the key findings was that while 55% of respondents agree that their Orthodox community day school systems are successful in creating committed Orthodox Jews, only 34%, a third, disagree, which ostensibly means that they don't feel that the Orthodox community school systems are creating committed Orthodox Jews. A, does this surprise you that a third, meaning if everybody's spending tens of thousands of dollars and working their tails off to send their kids to Jewish day school, and a third of them don't think that they're creating committed Orthodox Jews? Does that surprise you? And is that a, is that a failure? Okay, so I, I want to start by saying that I did not have a chance to read the, um, the, the survey in depth, so I'm really just responding to the things you say to me, so I just want to kind of full disclosure and disclaimer that, you know, I'm, I'm really just responding to the things you're throwing at me. I haven't seen the actual Wait, this thing. This is what we were going for. I'm kind of hoping for, you know, throwing things at you and okay. get a response. <laughs> okay, so does it surprise me? Absolutely not. It does not surprise me. Um, reflections on that? Well... Um, okay, well, the question is like, how, how much of that, like, is that a, a, um, damning critique of the, or is the, of the system, or are there other factors that play in so that we can be a little bit more, um, you know, um, forgiving and understanding of the, of the school system, well, right? Let, let, day school, let me unwrap schools, it both? The understanding, the assumption is that in Orthodox community schools, one of the goals is to create committed Orthodox Jews. Do you agree with that? Okay. Yes, but okay. But again, I didn't read the survey, so define committed for me. Um, talk to me about what the communities look like that are sending to these day schools, right? What day schools are included in this? Are we talking about communities where the people or the families are committed? Are you talking about communities where you have a range of... Um, of parents and family, you know, in terms of the student body, in terms of their degree of, of commitment. Like, like I'm thinking, I'm a, 
you know, I'm just I'm thinking of different schools in America and their populations. And like I would some schools are turning out X and some schools are turning out Y. And that's not surprising. And that's a combination of the the again, the student body. And it's also a combination of the philosophy of the school. Like it's just so. Okay, so good. So when we tear that apart, then I would say, okay, looking back then, you would say you probably agree that a third of the schools or what have you, are, you know, that didn't surprise you, that's what you said. But then you, what you would say is it all depends on the schools, meaning you would, you would expect that 97% of parents oh, it depends on the schools. Schools would expect their kids, would expect the schools, their school, to produce committed Orthodox Jews, where I know, 50, 60% from another school would not. Is that what you're saying? That it depends on the school and the subgroup? No. I just think there are so many inter- interplaying moving parts, right? It depends on the school. It depends on the population of the school. Um, and again, there are moving parts that we haven't even spoken about. What are the so what, what, what kinds of challenges are schools dealing with um, that that make it difficult to create committed Orthodox Jews? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like 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 what's the culture? What's the surrounding culture? It's complicated. No, Just I want to turn to Johnny. Johnny, what do you think? <laughs> what do I think about the outcome relating to uh, schools? Just again, please repeat the question. 34% of um, respondents to the survey felt that Orthodox community school systems are not successful in creating committed Orthodox Jews. Does this surprise you? And can you, and, and does it make sense to you? You know, I think Mali's right that you have to consider what are your measures of success. But let's simply say success is about observance, is about uh, emotional um, and spiritual intellect, intellectual connection. And let's just take the report as is. What do we think of a world where over a third of schools aren't doing what allegedly they're supposed to be doing? And here I speak as an educator. Well, either false promises have been made, parents actually believe schools uh, are able to achieve things that schools are not, or schools are somehow failing in their mission statement, um, or there are challenges that are facing all other variables that need to be considered called the students. Students have free choice. You know, a school, can, if, the, if the demand of a school is to make your child do things, well, a child is a free agent. But let me take it back another way. I feel this is getting sort of too broad. Now, I, hey, I, can I, I just say, I want to say, yeah, I say something to you, right. Let's, I, I, the, the question is, is it fair to assume that the goal of an Orthodox day school, that we send our children or parents and their children to Orthodox day schools in order to ensure that they'll be Orthodox? Meaning, I, and I want to say it another way, you both are teaching at seminaries. Do parents send their daughters to seminaries to ensure, to help ensure that they'll be Orthodox? Or do they send them for many other reasons? Okay, so, the, here, so I want to I want to introduce something that that like is on my mind and that's going to either make the conversation clearer or more confusing. That which statement makes things more confusing. Is, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll hear what I have to say, and then you'll see why I said that. Because are you talking when you say what was the word observance, right? Meaning, so when you first asked the question, committed I it as like baseline committed. Orthodox Jews. So I understood that as like, okay, so that means we're talking about committed to halachic observance. That's one question. Another question is, 
what's more kind of interesting to me, what I know more about, because it's what I speak to about with my students, which is, do they feel spiritually inspired by their schools? Um, it, 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 is Judaism and religion and orthodoxy, um, ed, are they educated in such a way that those words and God and spirituality are connected okay. in any that way? That is not the question. I think that every parent would want their child to feel spiritually inspired. But if you'd ask parents, well, do you want your parents to be, you want your children to be spiritually inspired, but they might not turn out orthodox when they grow up? Or do you want them, no, but, those that, are the, but, those, you think those are the same? Those are not the same. I think that if you don't have spiritual, ins listen, I agree with you that you, that like, you know, um, behavior, the quality to um, commitment and halacha is primary. But I also think that if it's all rote, it's not going to last very long. Or it's not, it's, it's, it's going it's, it, to, that's the weak, that's a weak underbelly. And it's one of the weak underbellies of modern orthodoxy, which I don't think, I think is also one of the things that draws people who are actually looking for spirituality and inspiration. Not, they don't, people who are looking for that end up moving more to the, Haredi and yeshivish world because it's not lacking over there. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know, so if, like, I don't know if I agree with you. Yes, you. But I understand what you're trying to say. Okay, I'm, again, I'm talking about let's say my population, right? My population, which are for the most part committed and motivated, and are they're self-selecting. They're coming to an institution which they know is going to have very high demands of them. They know that they're going to be with uh, the majority of the students are center, um, at, at, like like the, the population draws from modern Orthodox schools, but it also draws from Beis Yaakov's. Um, they, they know that the expectations of the school are very high, spiritually, academically, religious, and religious behavior. So they're already, they're already committed in a certain degree, okay? And they, they're all, they're, many of them, not all, but many of them are looking to enhance their spiritual, religious, and halachic behavior. And one of the things that I hear over and over is, well, the, like, the reason why, why the yeshivish world is attractive to me and why I think I want to maybe leave modern orthodoxy is because modern orthodoxy does not provide me with spiritual um, intensity or excitement or, or a sense of commitment. And I see that in, the, in my Haredi teachers and I see it in, my, in the Haredi communities. And they're, they're looking at a very surface level. So part of what I feel I do in the school is try to that you can be a passionate, committed, um, spiritually involved person and believe in the values of modern orthodoxy, lechachila, right? At the same time as I, I don't, I, I don't mind if a student wants to choose a different path because it more speaks to them. But I don't want them to leave modern orthodoxy because they think that if they, if they're going to find spirituality and intensity, then they can't stay in modern. So, orthodoxy. You're actually, you're actually referring you're saying, to another. Interesting to me. Uh, how should we say another key finding where where the the, the survey wrote there's strong agreement that modern orthodoxy is Jewishly authentic. And lets people think about ideas critically and intellectually. But pluralities only somewhat agree that modern orthodoxy is spiritually inspiring. And there are mixed views on whether right. religious observance yeah. in modern orthodox community is where it should be. Fewer than half agree that right. religious observance within the modern orthodox community is where it should be. Right. So these are the questions that interest me because these are the questions that interest my students. Uh, okay. So you want to turn away from the education thing? I actually am... I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. By the question. I know. Maybe maybe Johnny has something okay, to say. I'll just so let's. For let's a second. I'm fascinated let's, by the question. I'm fascinated by the idea that 
that parents are investing and created a school system and you know send their children to a school system where the system is ostensibly failing in its primary mission a third of the time. And so then I wonder, well, either that's, that's uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about it, or the schools are not educating to that mission. And, and that's what I really think. I wonder, like, if you'd ask a school, what is your goal? What's your mission? Well, our modern Orthodox people say, no, no, what's your goal? What do you want? What, what is your ideal graduate not when they come out of your school, but when they're 25 or when they're raising a family. You know, how many schools are, have considered that question and are educating the four years of high school to try to answer that question? And I'm not sure that, meaning I'm not sure that that's happening as much as it, as it should be or it could be. You know, they're focused on college. Well, I think the schools are really working very hard. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. I think, I'm, not, I'm not questioning people. My, I'm not questioning... I'm not people. I think they're all working very hard, and they just they can't figure out how to do it. I don't. I, I would say to you, I think that they do care very much. The, uh, most of the schools, maybe even all the schools, care very much about outcome, and they're struggling with it. Again, it's so complex, and there are so many, um, you know, challenges coming at them from so many different directions, and they're all trying to figure out how do we do this. That that's my answer at least to that. You that think piece. that they are educating or leading towards the outcome that I described? Meaning, I think they're all trying to lead towards an outcome, towards having educated young people who are thoughtful, who, who consider their religion. But I'm not sure that the goal is to create religiously committed modern Orthodox Jews. Those are not the same thing. And, and if that might be true, meaning they might want them to know Adapa Gemara, they might want them to learn how to, uh, how to analyze the text, they might want them to learn how to dive in. You know what I'm saying? They might want a lot of different things. I'd say like this. I'd say there are, it may be that there are some schools for whom that critique is a fair critique and you'd have to ask the school, and there are other schools for whom what you're saying is not fair and, and almost, they, they would find it an affront that you would say that. So it would very much depend I on the I raised a question. I don't know. I'm, ask, I'm asking you a question. I, I don't know. I'm not thinking of any specific. Right. So I'm saying that would be my response. Like, I feel like there are some principles that would be like, are you kidding me? Of course, that's my. Okay. Then they're failing a third of the time. Right. Other schools, but again, I don't know if that's fair because you'd have to look at each school and look at their particular outcome. But then again, this is why it becomes so complicated because, you know, if I think of school A, their population is very different than school B. Right? And what becomes a chicken? What becomes the egg? And it's it's again, much more complicated. I understand right? that, but those words seem those words seem like excuses to me. Meaning, if you if you were asked to pay for like something, your question is too broad. If you were asked to invest in something where a third of the time it's a right. Okay, but then but then baseball. you know what I do? No, but your question isn't good because okay, but I have to decide which school am I going to send my kids to. So you're saying it's like there are like twenty five schools, and I would I would and you're speaking in very low resolution. And if, if I, I, as a parent, I think my responsibility would be to be in much higher resolution. Before I send my kid to a school, I look at that school and I look at, and I ask myself the questions you're asking. What is their mission statement? Uh, what is their school popula population? Um, what is their general outcome, right? What do they emphasize? What do they say they emphasize? What do they actually emphasize? Like, don't, I, I think- I, I would say, honestly, I remember as a younger when I, parent, I didn't ask those questions. As an older parent, Okay, well, I definitely parent, did. I definitely do. Okay, so I for sure did, and my parents for sure did. I remember, I mean, I went to a more yeshivish elementary school, um, which is now officially a base Yaakov, at the time it wasn't, and there, I have so many positive things to say about that. And then my parents decided 
to send me to a modern Orthodox high school because they believed in modern Orthodoxy. Um, and But we checked out many schools. And my parents put a lot of thought into the question of which is going to be the place to best educate their daughter. Like they thought exactly about these questions. And by the way, it was very, it wasn't so simple. One second. I, I, um, I, I'm sorry to go ahead, please. chip yeah. in. Um, no, no, please. Uh, I mean, I think the question is somewhat strange because the way it's presented here, uh, and I did read much of the survey, but I'm just trying to scan through some of the pertinent pages. The question, uh, at least the headline was, you know, 55% of parents believe that school is creating uh, committed Orthodox Jews and 34% say no. I think the word created committed Orthodox Jews is absurd, as if to say somehow the school makes uh, that of a child. Every school is in partnership with a home, uh, and, and of course they collectively are in partnership with a student who is generally an autonomous being, like I, as I said before. <laughs> and I'd love to know, you know, of those 34% who are offering a critique, you know, at, at some stage did they express concern, or is this like, you know, at a Shabbos table, they look at their kid who's now 21, but they feel is somehow not aligned with their orthodoxy, and they're saying, well, you know, the school hasn't done a good job. The question really isn't necessarily, you know, are, are the schools definitely yes or definitely not doing a good job? It's a very, very broad survey based on a whole variety of, on, on different respondents in different states, uh, reflecting, I suppose, the uh, trends of different schools. So it's, it's too broad a question to be able to critique any individual school. But uh, the question is, what are really our expectations of a school? I think most schools, and, and I speak here as a head of Judaic studies of two high schools in the UK, and I have obviously strong ties with schools in the US, uh, they struggle to speak the language of obligation and commitment. Um, and parents often urge uh, teachers to speak a lot more about uh, the tools of learning, necessarily the discipline of practice. Uh, and, and consequently, the question is framed about a certain outcome, which I think in many cases educators are limited to achieve option A because parents aren't always full partners. Option B, sometimes parents are quite quick to critique a school when the school speaks in the language of obligation and commitment. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that there aren't schools that can't do better. Of course there are. But this is a very uh, you know interesting question. And to make sense of it, I think we need to make sense of a lot more specifics uh, happening on the ground and, and consider... You know why? Who is a parent giving that data? You know who is the individual writing this? They they say later on, uh, people of different ages and stages um, offered to these uh, critiques are these parents whose kids have recently gone through uh, modern Orthodox schools or or currently. So I I think we shouldn't overly belabor the point, but while it's an interesting statistic and obviously one of of significant concern, what can we learn from it? Well, we can learn that there is a disconnect between expectations and outcome. Once we acknowledge that, we need to ask ourselves, where is it? Is it because expectations are too great? Is it because the parents are asking the schools to do too much? Is it because schools feel limited about what they can do? Or is it because students feel that actually a school isn't there to help create them becoming committed Orthodox Jews? A school is there to teach them things and they have the right to make their own choices, which is certainly aligned with a lot of the messages they get both within a school spirit and certainly beyond. I also think we're the wrong people to be asking these questions to. Like the people to be asking these questions to are the actual educators in America. So you, well, it would be the actual educators of the actual schools. 
I'm telling you what I see in terms of my students and how they feel when they're 18. But, but you, you know, like the real questions that you're asking that seem to be of interest to you um, are questions that people who are in the field actually doing it day to day um, are the ones who can are, are the ones who are the appropriate ones. To Fair enough. So you want, let's move on to the, the question you I want to move on to the question you alluded to before. The idea about modern orthodoxy being uh, spiritually inspiring. And I want to turn to Johnny because Molly wants to talk about it. So we'll ask Johnny first and let Molly, Molly respond. Johnny, is modern orthodoxy spiritually inspiring? Is, many people feel it's Jewishly authentic, but fewer than half thought that it was, you know, religious observance is where it should be. So is, can modern orthodoxy be spiritually inspiring? And if it's not, what does it need to do to make it so? Well, let's look at the data. I mean, again, I'm happy to discuss the data. Our job is to now unpack it, because that question was specifically asked. And 24% of respondents agree fully that modern orthodoxy is spiritually inspiring. 44% agree somewhat. 16 neither agree or disagree. And then we're left with 15% who are either disagree somewhat or disagree fully. So you have about a quarter uh, saying, yes, it's spiritually inspiring, just under a half broadly agreeing, and, and, and others disagreeing. So statistically, that's a, a total agree of, uh, what is it, 68%. You could argue that's a great outcome. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, though, later on in the survey, mm -hmm. we're told of the, uh, the ages of those who responded. And so if you look at the age range of 18 to 34, um, agreeing fully is 18%. Uh, the age range of 35 to 54, agreeing fully is 22%. And the age range of 55 over, agreeing fully is 33%. Meaning, the younger you are, seemingly, based only on this data, the more you'd uh, not agree fully that modern orthodoxy is spiritually inspiring. So what do we do with that? Well, um, could you the question suggest, is... Wait, could you suggest that as you get older, your definition of spiritually inspiring changes... It's not I, just, I think so. Yeah. Uh, you could also suggest that when a person is over 55, they kind of like said, this is a bed I've made. I'm going to lie in it. And I, I guess I've got to make peace with the spiritual inspiration that I have. No, I don't think than, they would uh, say it's inspiring. They would say it's uninspiring. This is what I do. Uh, precisely. I mean, I think there is truth in your assertion. However, I just want to speak about one particular thing, which is language. Um, and... You know, if you go to certain educational settings, even the term spiritual inspiration will be used more often. In other educational settings, it will be used a lot less often. So when you ask a question like this, um, it may well be that actually there is much inspiration, but you, you don't, you're not necessarily fully cognizant that that's what's actually happening. It's too soft and it's not clearly labeled. Uh, whereas in other settings, you may well say that they talk about spirit's inspiration. And we know that's what we're getting. And consequently, I feel that that's coming in the boatload. Uh, my general experience is that many in modern orthodoxy, and one must be careful to make uh, excess generalizations, often uh, are more uh, keen to speak about the intellect than the emotion, are more keen to speak about the rational than the mystical, and in so doing, there are occasions when they throw out the baby with the bathwater and perhaps on occasion lead to perhaps very uh, uh, wise, nourishing, um, concrete lessons 
but lacking perhaps in the spirit of, of what they're communicating. So I would that's say, my, uh, interesting, when I was raised, you know, the idea of spiritually inspiring would have to be only on a religious level. But now I see, like, sometimes I, like, I follow on Facebook, I see modern Orthodox rabbis who really go out of their way to care for other people, who go out, you know what I'm, who go out of their way to, to feed other people, to worry about their community, to worry about those who are less fortunate. And at a younger age, I would not have seen that as being as spiritual, necessarily. But when I, as I grow older, I see that those kind of role models as very spiritually inspiring, that the model that I was raised with, I think it was more of a, I would say, a right-wing model is that spirituality is only what you can find in shul. But as, as I grow older, I see spirituality is about finding people who, who, who act ethically in very ethically challenging areas. So I, I think it could very well be the problem isn't that we're, that it's not inspiring or that there aren't spiritual people in a certain sense, but the, the definition of what spirituality is allowed to be in certain settings, and that changes as you grow older. Molly. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, just two comments. One is that I think the problem classically for modern orthodoxy has been that because it's trying to hold two extremes, right, so it's, again, modern, centrist, whatever you want to call it, let's say you call it centrist, right? So um, you can be in the middle because you don't care so much about either extreme, right? So you're in the middle because you're kind of parved. That's extremely spiritually uninspiring. Or you can be in the middle because you care so passionately about the two extremes that you're trying to hold two very inspiring ideas and, and hold that complexity, which is extremely intense, right? If you're talking about complete lack of intensity, or you can, you can do the exact same thing and be in the exact same place with a overabundance of spiritual intensity. And I think that that's what we should be aiming to educate for in terms of modern orthodoxy. Um, right, Lichtenstein has this somewhere in his quote, he quotes this line, you know, like, there's some, somebody went out to this battle, you know, and it's not, I care not, to, he leaves his, this woman behind, I care, it's not because I care about you less, it's because I care about country more, right? Meaning, the reason why, let's say, I, I believe in Hesder, I don't know if it's from the Hesder article, I think it's from a different, it's like a modern orthodoxy article. Um, it's not because I care about value A less, right? It's because I care than, let's say, the, than, than the yeshivish Haredi world. It's because I care about value B more than the yeshivish Haredi world, and therefore I have to hold both of them at the same time. And that's, that's, that type of spiritual intensity is what we should be trying to educate towards. Um, but I, 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 what you said actually um, struck me, the last thing you said, because, you know, like I, I think very often about Rav Amital, right? I just quoted Rav Lichtenstein. And I think that like Rav Lichtenstein was a, was, a, was a role model who was very easy for people to find spiritually inspiring from a very young age. For a lot of the reasons that you described, right? The intensity and, and you could see it and the magnitude. And, and Ramital was a figure who, as people matured, they appreciated more and more. And they found him to be a role model. And, he, and, and again, I agree that these words are so... There's such, there's such platitudes, and they, they almost, you know, they can, they're so elastic, they, they can mean anything. They must have no definition, but let's, we want to go with this phrase, spiritually inspiring, like a Ravamital figure, becomes more spiritually inspiring the older you become, right? This quiet, balanced, wise, um, like, like, like worldly wisdom with commitment, 
and with ethics and with like um, an ability to live day to day um, and to see things straight and clear and clear um, becomes much more appealing as a person matures. So I don't know well, where to put I, that. I, I keep but thinking that's about, just about when you talk about your students about like, you know, should we go to be Haredi? The, the question isn't necessarily um, should they be, you know, it, it, how, how do you teach them to be patient and to appreciate something that they can't appreciate when they're younger, that they won't understand, that they will need or will be meaningful to them when they're older? So that's very interesting. So the way I've classically taught them was to argue, no, no, there actually is inspiration and spirituality in this path. It is a lechachila path. It's a passionate path. Um, it's an alive path. It's a spiritually committed path, right? To like meet them where they are and to demonstrate that you can live a spirit, spiritually inspired life and be modern Orthodox. And that's what appeals to them. And they very much like that. Um, but But it's interesting what you're saying, which is another piece of it is... I would argue, um, my, my, my answer is yes. Is to educate shul towards be, the second shul, thing. The shul no. experience can be very uninspiring in a modern Orthodox community. There's talking, and there's this, and there's that. But just in my experience, no, no, it's very, it's very uninspiring. It can be. It can be inspiring sometimes. But 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 when you, if you know people, and you know the choices that they're faced with, and you see the, the right. goodness that they have, and the way they help other people, and, mm -hmm. and the care that they have... For the environment, or the community, or you know, any myriad of issues, yeah. you can find inspiration if you look for it. Okay, so so I, I want to say something about that because I think that's a very very good point, and that is something that I've started telling my students, which is like I I look at my own journey, right, and I see that when I was eighteen, um, I made certain judgments that I now look back, and and I don't agree with myself anymore. Meaning, the older I get, the more I see positives in certain communities. That when I was younger, perhaps it was much easier for me to be, you know, um, to be, to, let's say, have critique. And now I'm not in that place anymore. Like, I, and I agree with you. I look at the modern Orthodox communities in America and I, I don't look with the critical eye of an 18 year old. I look with the appreciative eye of a 40, you know, mid 40 year old. Okay, we're going to turn it back to Johnny. Johnny, I'd love you to respond to this question about the issue of spirit, is modern orthodoxy and spiritual inspiration. Well, I spoke about the fact. I, I think, though, you know, we face a challenge in modern orthodoxy in terms of the fact that a lot of our role models may well be brilliant and, uh, and um, able to communicate ideas with profundity. But there sometimes seems to be a, a lacking in that extra dimension. I'll give you just a simple example. And again, I'm not uh, trying to overly generalize. I'm sure there are exceptions in each case. But um, if you'd go to, shall we say, a, a, a more Haredi a yeshiva, people, when people learn, they often sing. Uh, they, they learn out loud. That's a done thing. In many modern Orthodox settings, that seems to be more of out of the ordinary. You mentioned about the shul experience this morning, and perhaps most weeks I daven a couple of mornings a week in the in the shtibel and the tanya. In the shtibel, there's a certain avira, and if you go to most modern Orthodox shuls, that avira, though may well be internal, may not necessarily be external. And so we often struggle to communicate the feelings that are undoubtedly within us externally enough for that necessarily to have a hashba'ah 
for those who uh, perhaps need the oral, the, the uh, visual element to connect with them and to lift them. And we rely on more um, rare occasions, in particular smachot uh, or particular days of celebration, in order to express those inner feelings. I think we basically are, I mean, I'm a British person, so we're generally used to holding our emotions back. But I think many modern Orthodox Jews uh, do hold themselves back because a lot of the activity happening is in their head and in their heart, but it's not necessarily evident in their song and in their dance. We're not Hasidim, you know, God forbid, for some people's perspective. And that can have a, a, a significant impact, I think, on a perception of spirituality. Again, this isn't necessarily the, the true measure of spirituality, who are we to measure? But we do get lifted by those around us. We do, often when we see people who we feel bring a sense of joy, we uh, connect to that groove. And when we talk about spirituality, oftentimes it is measured by the bells and whistles, shall we say, of... Uh, of particular uh, people. You know, I, I've met numerous great sages and all of them are brilliant, but shall we say more Hasidic le uh, leaders seem to c communicate a certain aura of of greatness because they have a certain entourage or they have a certain look. And of course, I'm not somebody to say just because one has a look that necessarily communicates any greater or lesser level of spirituality. But observers think that that does. Um, uh, and oftentimes people in the modern Orthodox community, they uh, often look low-key. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody recently. They said, I want a rabbi who looks just like you, which basically means not like a rabbi. Um, and that, <laughs> I think you know who I was talking with, right? And, and, and that really is a sentiment. That sense, that uh, the appearance of normal is wonderful in many ways, but it can also have its I would go farther than you, Jani. I think you're being very uh, diplomatic. I think that there are things in the Haredi world that we're lacking. Um, and I, I think that, that it, it, it does us good to actually um, expose ourselves and our students to, to the positives across denominations. And if, listen, there are things, I, I don't want to undersell our community. And certainly I, I think, and again, I don't want to get into like a, Israel versus America thing, but there might be a difference here. There might be more spiritual intensity in the religious Zionist world. Uh, but if we're just going to stay in the modern Orthodox world, if we're going to accept your analysis, um, I think that then it would do us well then, and it would serve our students well to expose them to to those types of spiritual intensity, so as so as so as to inspire them by it and show them that it, that it's there and that it's real. Um, I think that's valuable. I think that's that's a good. I think that's that's that should be part of. All right, I'll I'll just say it. One of the reasons that I enjoy teaching where I teach is because we have a range of hashkafot, and including all you know. For, I think I'm the leftist probably. Now maybe there's a few. It's me and a few other people, all the way farther, much farther to the religious right, yeshivish, even Haredi, and I think that's really one of the strengths of, of the institution at which I teach, because it no, I don't know, I don't know which institute you're talking about, but I'm not sure I agree with you, because none of the students come from the, the students. So a lot of them come from Beis Maybe they yeah. do, maybe I don't. 
Me too. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's not like one of these things where, like, you yeah. know, we have to we have to like you know pull in you know like these schools in America where you you pull in the like you know, Kolel families to be the teachers, which is not. I agree with you. There's going to be a healthy and balanced there. I just. Okay, so I don't know what you're. No, I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about MMY. I, mean, I think I can say that you know, MMY. I think as part of their hashkafa is that they have a wide range of of um, perspectives represented, so that this age that the students. Right, but it should reflect. My point is, it just yes. Part of the reason is that the students should fight, be able to find themselves. I don't agree with the, Oh, we, we have no. We're we are, right. We have, our student body is all unorthodox. No, no. I think it's also it's also like I think that diversity in the in the in the hashkafa of the students. I think the you know the school stands for certain things unabashedly, like you know, but certain religious. But you're you're taking this as a as as something as a positive endeavor, which I would certainly agree with. But when you read the survey, it tells us that a majority of respondents are concerned that too many modern Orthodox communal leaders come from right leaning segments, with only about half agreeing that modern Orthodox schools have an adequate supply of modern Orthodox educators. Meaning, you say have diversity, and each basically positively rub off on each other. However, many of the respondents basically say, no, we want to send our kids to a modern Orthodox school where they're modern Orthodox teachers. Uh, and right, wait, wait, my critique actually, is... I, I, we're going afield. I want to just bring it back a little bit to this idea of spirituality. Have we, have we exhausted that topic? We are, are we, John, do you want to add anything? No, but my point, my point was that spirituality is often a perception thing. You know, I, I'm not to say that somebody, this person is more spiritual than that, but... Sometimes, because it's based on perception, that can be both uh, the challenge and, and, and the difficulty okay, of so uh, school Okay, I want to wrap up with this question. We're not going to do all these questions. We're, I think we're going a little bit long. But let's assume that, let, let's ask about the, I want to ask about the fundamental underpinning of the, of the question, or meaning, you know, the, the question was about, is modern orthodoxy spiritually inspiring, assuming that, what we're looking for in religion is spiritual inspiration, and then that's I don't know I don't know if that is that a goal is that necessary? Well, you had alluded to the fact that this is something your students are looking for, but is that be, you know is that necessarily a positive thing? Or okay, so maybe we have to you know listen. I, I think you have to write like spiritual inspiration is wonderful, but I feel like we live in a time. I'll yeah. I'm going through. I feel like we live in a time where everybody feels. They need to be spiritually inspired at all times. And if they're somehow mm -hmm. not inspired, then, you know, then I have to question things. Whereas in real life, or life that I experience, I, you have moments of spiritual inspiration interrupted by long stretches of, of as you described it, rote and laundry and davening and, and raising your children and going to work. And, and that's what life is about. And so when you don't have spiritual inspiration, the, the goal is to try to create good Jews, not when they're spiritually inspired, because when they're inspired, it's easy, but to create good Jews when they're not spiritually inspired. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's also a very important thing to teach, to teach which is, um, you know, that, that the real work of, of a religiously committed life is to not expect to be inspired every second, but that it's your commitment that carries you through, and that when you have moments of, what is that, um, of spiritual inspiration, I once heard this from, from um, the prominent wife of a Rosh Hashiva. I'm not going to say who because I don't think it's fair to quote without without saying. Um, she said, "In my, you know, when I grew up, we didn't expect to be spiritually inspired all the time. We expected we kept halacha, and if once a year we felt spiritually inspired, we thanked Kadosh Baruch Hu for for spiritual. 
Um, and there was a lot of truth to that. And I think that's important to, to teach our children, to teach our, our children and our students. Um, and I think you're right. And I think in today's world, you know, I think commitment needs to be um, emphasized. Um, but I will, I will say something else, which is, I was just teaching my students catharsis, the Rav's article, Catharsis. And he talks about um, spiritual heroism. And he dafka contrasts what he calls biblical heroism with classical heroism. And again, I'm going to make this very broad. Anybody wants to read the article, read Catharsis, and, and don't rely on my using it for the purpose of the point I want to make. But he basically says, like, there's, like, the hero who has the fame and the adulation. And let's say, let's parallel that to, like, what you're describing as spiritual inspiration. And then there's Yaakov Avinu who plodded along in the dark, uh, quietly, uh, without any fanfare, and it's between him and himself, and it's his day-to-day -day life, and he keeps going day after day in the dark, and that's real heroism. So my point is that that's, that second description, um, it's, it, it's not devoid of spiritual intensity. It's, it might not have you spiritually inspired, but commitment, right? It's like, you know, in a marriage, right? You have high points, you have low points, you have... Um, times where you celebrate uh, romantic occasions, and then you have the day-to-day -day life. And you might talk about highs and lows, but I think that in a healthy relationship, there's always like a baseline, not just of commitment, but of emotional connection and engagement that's real and that can always be tapped into. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, those are two different things. And so I think I do. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I do. Yeah, I, I okay. wanna, we're going very long, so I want to turn to Johnny to wrap up. Well, I, I before I do, I want to mention C.S. Lewis last week. So my favorite book in the whole world is C.S. Lewis's Scooting Letters. And he Letters. talks about this in there. Before. He does. Have I mentioned it before? This issue. Chapter 8. You must read Chapter 8. Yes, Trots that's right. And Peaks and Valleys, The Laws right. of Undulation. It's great. Anyhow, right, Johnny, go ahead. Well, well I, I'm actually going to pick up on what Mali did, not what she said. Because we were talking about spirituality, as it happens, I'm also teaching a course on the thought of Soloveitchik, and, and Catharsis is an important essay. But when speaking about uh, heroism and spirituality, she referred to an article which referred to a verse, which referred to an interpretation, which provided us then with a profound insight. I did that? Um, All right. And I think that's... Yeah, I did that. <laughs> now, why, now, why do I mention that? Because... I think there are two, when we use spiritual uh, inspiration, uh, within the modern Orthodox world, we say, no, it exists, but you have to go through the texts first. We basically, you know, the Mishnah talks about a Puzdor and the Taklin, you know, uh, you have to go through the entrance hall in order to go to the Simcha suite, right? So we say, to be a modern Orthodox Jew, we believe in spiritual inspiration, but we generally hook it on our appreciation and reading of text, understand the text, and then things will, will become enlightened. And that's generally how most people are trained, uh, I would say, that we say the inspiration is there embedded in the learning. Learn, and then the inspiration you shall find. Whereas other models of education don't hook the inspiration on text. They basically provide inspiration, shall we call it, unconditionally. And uh, I think this is a challenge because... Uh, modern Orthodox education, which is, shall we call it, quite obsessed on, on textual study as a key component and a, and a doorway to lead to deeper understanding. We, because we require that, you often don't quite reach the spiritual inspiration. You get caught up with the text, etc. Whereas other models, other schools of thought 
other traditions offer spiritual inspiration disconnected to text, merely through stories or, or through music. And then it's just not pure Hasidism. If you look through, you know, Kirov movements, you, you can be inspired even if you know uh, nothing. The educator will inspire you with, in, in a manner which speaks to you where you are today. So I think within this question, in many ways, and how Mani responded, I speaks volumes about how, where we find spiritual inspiration, how we provide it. And uh, when people perhaps critique modern orthodoxy in terms of it not, or not agreeing fully that it uh, is spiritually inspiring, they're not saying spiritual inspiration can't be found there, but they're saying, I didn't quite make it. Okay. I think we'll leave it at there. We'll leave it there. There's obviously much more to say about this survey. Uh, if I insulted you and you're a principal at a school, I apologize. You can email me or let us know, and uh, we'll try to rectify that. Um, we're going to thank Molly Brevsky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Uh, thank my son, Patachis Walter, for the music. I also want to uh, ask you, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave us a review, make a comment, preferably a positive one. We're in statistics, 48.1% of our listeners are listening on Apple Podcasts. So if you are now, you got to this far, leave us a comment so other people will find us on the Apple Store. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.